What's up, everybody? Hardest part of the ring is here once again, and boy, howdy, it's so hot, it's scary. <laughs> Biggest party of the summer. You'll never see it coming. <laughs> Taglines. Anyways. <laughs> I don't even know if this SummerSlam 2001 had a tagline. It probably did. It probably had some stupid ass shit with the fucking. I don't know. The, 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 the sun's invading your skin, giving you skin cancer, or so, something like that. It probably had some sort of tagline like that. But I say that because, of course, August of 2001, we are smack dabaruski in the middle of the acclaimed invasion storyline. What a fucking time in wrestling this is. Uh, if you caught my last uh, Attitude Era episode of the series, you uh, caught my recap on Invasion. And, you know, going back and watching all these these shows, the Rawls, the Smackdowns, the pay-per-views, you know, I was watching as a kid, but I don't know if I really absorbed it as much as I should have. Um, I also, at some point, got banned from watching wrestling at, at some point during the storyline, but we'll get into that in the podcast. But yeah, m m minor, minor detail, minor detail. But, <laughs> but um, you know, the invasion, you know, once you put aside, you know, okay, we know we're not getting Hogan. We know we're not getting Goldberg or Sting or Ric Flair or the NWO of any sort. Once you put that aside, which is a big thing, granted, but... Other than that, the Invasion storyline was not that bad in the beginning. You know, we had, it was this very, there was a lot of guys. And, you know, those guys may have been the Chavo Guerreros and the, the Shane Helmses and the fucking Tory Wilson and the weird commentator guys that were only there for like the last year of WCW. It may have only been them, but it was a fucking lot of them, okay? So the Invasion felt like an invasion. It felt like something that was suffocating the WWF, and it felt like a threat. That's the big thing here. Felt like a threat just because of the sheer quantity of them. And yes, some of them are guys like DDP who are just cucking Undertaker's wife and, and then just getting his ass beat for it. But there, there, it wasn't all good in the beginning by any stretch. But you know, going into Invasion, it, it felt like a pretty cool, uh, felt like a pretty cool atmosphere to the show. But then Invasion happened. Stone Cold turns on the WWF, and now he's the leader of the alliance. And, you know, it's it, it, that's, just, that's just the start of it, right? That's just the tip of the iceberg, or the tip of the septic tank, I guess, of what this storyline would become. Because you have Austin flipping, you got Test flipping on this show, you have, uh, obviously, the Shane McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, you... Uh, you get, like, William Regal turning, I believe, doesn't he? Like, Kurt Angle turns. All these guys, and you already have, like, the Dudleys and guys that have, have been in WWF for years on the Alliance. So, at a certain point, it just gets kind of tedious and ridiculous. Oh, man, it just feels like WWF versus WWF at a certain point. But, um, yeah, SummerSlam is still, you know, with that being said, I don't mean the shit. I mean, the storyline definitely gets the shit. But at SummerSlam, we're still... Kind of okay. We're still we're, we're still pretty good. The show is actually a very fun show to watch. 
Um, I don't even know if I've actually ever seen this show in its entirety until I did this uh, until I did this episode here, and I had a lot of fun watching it. And you'll be able to tell that in the episode that I do with Matt Riddler from the Smackin' It Raw podcast. And now this guy Matt, you know, Smackin' It Raw, you know how you get it. It's SmackDown and Raw. But I I don't know if he realizes that Smackin' It Raw kind of has like a sexual connotation to it, you know? Cuz you know, he's talking about Smackdown and Raw, but some people might see that and be and perceive it to be like condomless intercourse, you know? I feel like he doesn't I don't, I don't know if he knows that or not, but that that that's going to be embarrassing for him once he realizes that. It's a very silly thing to do, you know? Um <laughs> No, but yeah. It was a uh, really fun episode that we did on SummerSlam 2001. Lots of fun shit to get into. I mean, the invasion always has some interesting topics. Always has has some goofy stuff to to ridicule. And uh, yeah, making wrestling fun again, everybody. That's what we're doing here. So as I said, Matt Riddler. You can find him at Twitter at Matt Riddler. So it's Matt Riddle with an R at the end. If you need any help. And it's the Smackin' It Raw podcast. You can find it on all podcast platforms. He has a little link tree in his Twitter bio. And uh, you can also find it on Pornhub. And that's a shoot, apparently. Um, I, I, I don't go on Pornhub, so I wouldn't know. But um, <laughs> but yes, the number one podcast on Pornhub. The number one podcast today because you're listening to it. Anywho, let's get to it. SummerSlam 2001 with myself and Matt Riddler from the Smackin' It Raw podcast. Why do, I, why do I say it like that? It's early. I haven't had enough coffee. Is there like a backstory behind that or you just have really uh, juicy lips? Apparently, I just have really juicy lips. I have no idea where Kenny came <laughs> You know, it, it's Kenny. So, I can, I, yeah, I, I can gather how that was created. Yeah. But, uh,. Yeah, man. So, did you? Uh, you said you got a chance to check out SummerSlam. Yeah, I, had, I wanted to go, go back and rewatch it, and make sure I remembered exactly what the fuck we were going to talk about today. So, it was a lot. Were, were you uh, like watching as it was happening, like in two thousand one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been watching mostly on somewhat off. I think I fell off around like two thousand. 12 or uh 2011-ish for a little while right um but yeah no mostly on since like 96 early 97 so oh man yeah you're a little before my time because i started in like 98 99 yeah um but funny i think i might have brought this up on another episode but i um this this pay-per-view was the first one that happened after my parents banned me from watching wrestling for a little bit Cause I got, I was like, whatever, nine, eight years old. And I, uh, I threw my bike helmet at somebody like another kid. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it specifically. I don't think it was that hard, but the helmet fell like onto the con onto the pavement and then it broke. And my parents are like, Oh, you didn't throw that hard. So why is the helmet broken? And it's like, it was the whole thing. But they thought it was because of the aggression that I got through watching wrestling. (laughs) So they're like, fuck you. You can't watch wrestling for six months. It's like, Oh, Wow. Damn. 
Yeah, no. Um, I only got banned from watching wrestling once, uh, and it wasn't the wrestling. I was just banned from like TV and shit. And I woke up and snuck downstairs to watch Monday Night Raw after I thought my parents had gone to bed. And my yeah. dad got up to get something to drink, and I'm just sitting there in the living room with the TV on when I'm not supposed to be. And that mm-hmm. did not go well for me. He was not happy. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. I feel like my dad would have been okay with it. But my mom, I think it was honestly probably more so the tits and cursing that was on wrestling at the time. I could see More that. so than the aggression. But who's to say? Well, how old who's are you? to say? I'm 27. All right. So, yeah, you're a few years behind me. I'm uh, 33, so. Okay. The tits and cussing was perfect because I was like, I, right now, 2001, I would have been 14. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I was right on track for tits and cursing. <laughs> well, I was in my head, but not in my... Uh, not my parents' head, I yeah. guess. But yeah, man, this is, this pay-per-view, SummerSlam 2001, is like smack dab in the middle of the invasion mm-hmm. storyline. There was a lot I of mean, good just, shit leading up to this, too. There was. I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, because everyone has like different kind of viewpoints on this invasion storyline. But like, what, what are your like general thoughts about it? Uh, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say it was. But I, uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of the heavy hitters weren't there to make it better and wwe is wwe they were never going to give wcw a fair shake like Mm -hmm. it it wasn't gonna happen even with them doing nitro or kind of trying to do nitro when you don't have kevin nash or scott hall or fucking hogan um Uh or you know steiner or sting or goldberg it was they were never gonna give it a fair shake like it, it just was not going to happen so yeah, you know it was what it was. Yeah, it was really bad timing, in my opinion, and I agree. I don't think it was as bad as people make it out to be. But I say that, so I'm going through all these Raws and Smackdowns and pay per views in order, and I'm noticing that, like in the beginning, the invasion wasn't that bad at all. I mean, aside from obviously, you know, the, like you said, the heavy hitters that weren't there. Um, but it was it was pretty cool at first because you have this like mass of people like invading wwf and they feel like a threat because it's so many of them and you have shane and stephanie and then there as the leaders and all that and you have paul Heyman and whatnot but man like what we get in the SummerSlam, and then we move on to like i think it's unforgiven after this and you know eventually to the end at survivor series it's just like it's crazy how directionless everything was like people are turning face and heel back and forth all over the place uh, titles. There's so many titles because all the WCW titles are there now. And you have like Canyon as a double champion. You have fucking Kurt Angle was WCW champion for like three days. Like <laughs> the Undertaker, like, there's, there's a tag team match later in the show where, where Undertaker and Kane are the WCW tag team champions and DDP and Canyon are the WWF tag. So it's like all like flip flop and it's all weird and kooky and it's like. Man, they had no idea <laughs> what their plan was. Right. And it's funny because they didn't give DDP a fair shake in WWF at all. Um, yeah. He's one of my, he is, pro- him and the Crow Sting were my two favorite characters in WCW. I used to, everything I did, I would throw up the DDP diamond cutter and, you know, mm-hmm. bang. If I, we were playing basketball and I made a shot. You know, that was the way I cheered. Like, I love me some DDP. <laughs> I really love me some Kimberly Page at 14, let me tell you. But, uh, oh, baby. 
yeah no um so yeah to see him as like this weird stalker in that angle uh was weird especially because so my favorite guy that came over from the invasion from WCW versus my all-time favorite wrestler in The Undertaker and my favorite version of Kane. And then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Canyon was there too. So, Do you – um, can you think of anybody that's uh, that's better than Canyon? Uh, no. I don't think no, there is anybody. Nobody's better than Canyon. Who Who is better than Canyon? That's Fucking, a question. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's um, yeah. This pay per view, it's like because Invasion was the one before this, mm-hmm. and a problem with a problem with that pay per view that I had because it wasn't that bad of a pay per view. But the the main event, it was all centered around the main event, which was like a five on five match, WWF versus the Alliance, and then right. the rest of the show was kind of just thrown together. And I think that's because the build initially for the Invasion, which it, it might have been entertaining at the time, but it was very, like, macro sense in that there weren't a lot of, like, feuds or rivalries within each company. It was just WCW versus WWF, or, or the Alliance versus WWF. There weren't, like, other rivalries within that. Right. And I think SummerSlam is kind of when they started to do, to do that, and they may or may not have misstepped, depending on your viewpoint of it. Yeah, so the show opens up, first of all. Oh, we're we recording already. Like this, this is the show. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, no, no, we get right into it. No, no, it's because like I listen to the show, so I know like the way you normally do things is you record a little intro and then you just cut in somewhere awkward where I say something like, "I have the kind of lips that prisoners dream about at night in their cells," and that's where we kick off the show. I just didn't know we were there already. <laughs> I'm gonna. Don't worry. I'll I'll cut that and put it at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, dude, so might as well just dive right into it. So the show opens up with bodies. Man, it's making it feel like 2001 right away. Explain to me how they can play bodies on the network, but none of the other music for any of the entrances that were done by actual music artists, they were able to use. Like, there was no Uncle Cracker. There was no Disturbed for Stone Cold. Come on. There was no Rollin'. Like, what the fuck? We got bodies, but none of that. So I think, actually, I think Stone Cold was done with Disturbed at this point. Because I think it was too, he, he needed like a more heel kind of theme song. At least that's how I imagine that that discussion went or whatever. Um, Undertaker, it's funny because they have Roland on like the Raws and Smackdowns, but not the pay-per-views. And I think that's because they might have just recently gotten the rights to Roland. And they had the pay-per-views on there before the Rolls and SmackDown. So I think they just haven't gone back and like deleted the, the dubbed over theme song or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, Uncle Cracker definitely got me heat. The, the lack of it, at least. The Undertaker wasn't too bad because at least they used the big evil version of his song. Like, so it's that, you know, um, post-Biker Taker, but pre-Return of Dead Man Taker theme song. Um, right. So at least it was an Undertaker theme. Austin's theme wasn't fucking Austin's theme. Like that was never Austin's theme. He had, I think it was, I don't think so. He had the glass shatter and he had the disturbed. I don't remember him ever having another theme. I'm pretty positive. That was, that was his theme. I'll, I'll put a poll out on Twitter and, and we'll see what the people say. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure because that was, it's definitely like on an, on an album of some sort that WWF put out. I think it was actually recently on like one of their like uncaged albums. Really? 
I'm like 98% sure, but I won't I won't die on that hill. <laughs> but yes, I definitely missed Disturbed. That was such a badass thing. Oh, that was fucking awesome that they had that for Austin. Especially, you know, me being from Chicago and Disturbed being from Chicago. It was fantastic. Man, what a fun fact. What a fun fact by smacking it raw. But so <laughs> I just want to mention real quick. So Bodies at this point was actually Stephanie McMahon's theme song, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. I, I, do, I do not remember that at all. But man, if you want to see something that's out of place, watch Stephanie McMahon come out to Disturbed or Drowning Pool. Yeah, Drowning Pool. Yeah, they're all the same. So the first match of the show is for the Intercontinental Championship. We have uh, the champion Lance Storm versus Edge. So this is kind of like uh, Edge and and Christian are kind of on an off-ramp as far as being a team goes. So this is kind of like the beginnings of Edge breaking out as a uh, singles guy. Um, Lance Storm out there. I guess his gimmick is that he's boring. Oh yeah, Do I have that right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, he, the whole thing was they said he didn't have a personality. He was very monotone. So uh, mm-hmm. he would do that if I could be serious for a moment. And I love it. And I always envision like Lance Storm at home, getting out of the shower, walking into the bedroom naked, looking at his wife, and being like, "If I can be serious for a minute." <laughs> You know, um, I didn't imagine. I didn't think I was going to be picturing Lance Storm's penis on this podcast, but here we are. I tried to warn you, like, <laughs> if you bring on the co-host of the number one wrestling podcast on Pornhub, not to plug myself, um, is that a shoot? By the way, are you on Pornhub? Yes, we are on Pornhub. That's where you I mean, can find just... these luscious lips that uh, Kenny loves to talk about. Is on Pornhub and YouTube, but hmm. well, now I know why they're so luscious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I, I was not expecting this match to be well. Like I, sh- I knew it was going to be good, but like I was not expecting that good of a match to open the show. Uh, these two guys mm-hmm. are fantastic. You know, say what you want about Lance Storm, he did some great shit in WCW where he held a shit ton of belts and stuck a Canadian flag on all of them. Uh, uh-huh. He really is underrated for you know the the credit that uh, he doesn't get for being the wrestler and having the charisma that he does. But uh, no, this was this was a really good match. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and you know. I was watching the match and it was it started off kind of slow and I was like, man, this is kind of a slow match. But I think that was all by design because that's kind of how you build up to that's how you make people care about the ending stretch of a match is when you kind of build up to it slowly. And I think that's what Lance Storm is really good at. And I think that's maybe why he has a stigma of being boring is because that's kind of his style. But I think ultimately it makes uh, really great matches just like this one. Um, but yeah, the ending stretch of this match comes when uh, Christian comes out to uh quote unquote, try to help Edge, but he misses Lance Storm and accidentally spears Edge. Um, but Edge, you know, he's like, fuck this. And he gets right back up. Uh, Lance Storm goes for a super kick. Edge counters and he hits the what I believe they're calling the buzz kill, which is uh, it ends up being called the execution or something. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I do not remember them calling it the buzz kill. Me neither. At first. No. Which is, yeah, it's kind of silly. It's well, kind of generic, but. He did all that cheesy shit where everything had Edge in his name. So he had a submission that was the Educator. Um, he oh, had the yes. Execution. Um, the Edgematic. Yeah. So. I mean, I, it's an easy name to, <laughs> to make puns out of, I guess. Yeah. I just, I, I also did not remember in any way, shape, or form a buzzkill for Edge. You, know, you didn't think it was cool? The name? No, no. The name was trash. <laughs> it was pretty bad, but at least they changed it eventually but uh but yes that ends up getting him the win here 
over Lance Storm and uh, new IC champion is Edge. So like I said, this is kind of his uh, kind of dipping his toes into singles uh, success and uh, once again teasing the breakup with Christian. And they kind of allude to that later in the show when uh, Grandma Edna calls him. Because remember, everybody, <laughs> remember, they're brothers. They're both blonde. They're both Canadian. They're brothers. Mm-hmm. So Grandma Edna calls them. He, she wants to talk to Edge, though. Doesn't want to talk to Christian. Uh, she, she wants to congratulate Edge on his title win. And then uh, once Christian grabs the phone, she hangs up. And you know Christian's all excited because he has a European title match on Raw the next day, which I can't believe that's still a thing at this point. And um, so, yeah, planting seeds there, which I liked. What, what did you think about that whole, like, Edge and Christian breakup? Um, I, when it happened, I think it was time. Um, Edge was clearly the, I hate to use this because everyone uses it. You know, who's the Shawn Michaels of the group? And Edge was clearly the breakout star of the group. You know, he, he wasn't going to mm-hmm. be Marty Jannetty. He was going to be Shawn. As great as Christian was, and he would go and prove that in TNA, um, Edge was clearly the more popular, the more charismatic and entertaining right off the yeah. bat. Christian was much more uh, comedy fodder, as we saw in this match and in the back. Like They both had great comedic timing. They were both fun, uh, are both fun, and have great comedic timing. But Edge was definitely the breakout guy, and they were they were getting to the point where they needed some more people in the mid-card outside of you know everyone from WCW that they just hired and ECW. So, yeah, um, no, it was time. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, yeah, like you said, I think it's more of a testament to how uh, talented and over edge was more so than like the the, the place that the tag team was. Because as, as a team, I think they could have had more in the tank, but I think Edge and Christian probably just provided more value at that time as singles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably why they went that way. But uh, man, this next match, Whoa. Spike Dudley and the APA versus Test. And the Dudley boys. And this is where I took issue with what they did for SummerSlam and going forward is because after Edge and Christian, and I think before they showed you have the WWF locker room and the WCW locker room, and they're Mm -hmm. watching this match. They're very invested in what's going to happen tonight. But for whatever reason, Vince, Bruce Pritchard, whoever the fuck was writing at this point, did not feel like the WCW talent was enough. So they took a bunch of their guys and moved them over. Now, some people like Stone Cold made sense because he has a history in ECW and WCW. So him going over made sense. But Test, Ivory, Mm -hmm. like, why are they joining the Alliance? Other than they didn't feel respected by the WWE, but, like, they're not former ECW talents are not former WCW talents, So it did not make sense to me. I know test cut his little promo about how, you know, he wasn't being valued this and that. I just, I really wish they had kept it like strictly former ECW or WWE guys versus the mm-hmm. WWF guys. And you could have sent guys like Chris Jericho over there. Like, I'm glad they didn't because coming up, we got some of the greatest shit ever. Like it would not fly today, but some of the greatest shit ever in the lead up to this, uh, Paper oh, yeah. from Jericho, but fantastic. But yeah, I, dude, literally, I have like the exact same note about this match. It just feels so, like I'll say it again Spike Dudley and the APA versus Test and the Dudley Boys. Now, you hear that without any context, and you're like, yeah, that's just a WWF match that could happen on any show. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no sense of 
company versus company here. And I will say that the Dudleys are former ECW guys, so I can forgive that. Yeah. But Test is like, like like you said, like I had the exact same thought. Like you couldn't, you know, use like Shane Helms or uh, who else? Hugh Morris or fucking uh, who else? Did they have? Chavo Guerrero or so, like somebody. It's a six man tag in the middle of the show. Who gives a fuck? Just throw somebody out there. Try to make, give them a name. Try to get them over. Um, give them a pay per view pay or whatever it is. Maybe they just wanted to use Test and they couldn't figure out another way to do it. Um, also, Test had so much potential. Like he had. <laughs> The look, I, I mean, he it wasn't much of a promo, but he still was able to cut a promo. He could talk like I don't know how yeah. he didn't do more in the WWF. Yeah, he was at least good enough to uh, be like a, a stoic monster of sorts or maybe even have a manager or something. He, he could have definitely amounted to a lot more than he did. Yeah, outside of uh, TNA with Albert. Yeah, which ultimately, I mean, now I'm thinking about it. He kind of they kind of attempted that with uh, Stacey Keebler. <laughs> Like oh, next year or two years his, after this, and his testicles. <laughs> do you get it, everybody? Do, do you we, get it? Do we want to talk about tests testicles real quick? And where the fuck I was w- Stacy Keebler and Tori Wilson? Like, I was so ready. I put this pay per view on, and then during the X Pac match, which we'll get to, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm looking up titty drop gifts to get myself ready because i'm like oh we're gonna get some good stacy keebler mm-hmm. tori wilson some kind of like bikini contest or something because this is 2001 there were no women on this pay-per-view i saw nobody in bikini no bra and panties matches like i was ready to Man. relive my 14 year old masturbatory fantasies and it didn't happen you were all fluffed up for no reason yeah i was really disappointed so you just had to blue ball yourself or maybe you like let it loose Oh no! X Pac was coming out. I'm married, so I went upstairs, and my wife just didn't know it was coming. <laughs> what so, a run in! Yeah, exactly. Foreign objects. <laughs> Speaking of foreign objects, I guess we should talk a little bit about the six man tag. Um, so yeah, as you said, like the whole premise here is that Test is a traitor, a traitor. He flipped from WWF to WCW. And the source of all that is like, it had to be like two months before this or something. There was like a mole within the WWF. They were like giving information to <laughs> fucking is all silly. They yeah. were giving information to WCW and they're like, who is the mole? Who is the mole? And everybody thought it was test. So they, all the WWF guys beat the shit out of test in the middle of the ring. And then they come to find out that it's not test. It's Paul Heyman. Go figure. <laughs> test is like, Go figure <laughs> yeah. who would have thought that of all people to be a goddamn mole, it's the guy that used to run another company. It's it's a whole thing. But <laughs> so Tess is, you know, deservingly so, he's pissed, so he capitalizes on this by waiting like a month or two to uh cost the APA the tag team titles, and uh which leads us to this match. And then you have Spike and the Dudley Boys, you know, Spike had has just kind of recently debuted in the WWF and he's kind of been overshadowing the Dudleys. So they were picking on him like that. It was a bully thing. Exactly. They were, they were bullying and picking on him because he had a girlfriend and apparently Bubba and Devon didn't, which by the way, Bubba's doing way better for himself than he deserves nowadays. <laughs> he's doing but, all right. He's whew. doing all right. Uh, yeah, no, he had a girlfriend and they didn't. So they picked on him. They didn't like that. He was with Molly. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's the whole thing. And then he had the other layer. Spike is a former ECW guy, but he's on the WWF side. So it's like, Jesus Christ. And Ron Simmons is a former WCW guy. It's it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. But uh, 
first ever uh, African American WCW champion, Ron Simmons. That is a fact. That is a fact. Um, this match, you know, I, I was looking at this match on paper and I was like, it's kind of a who gives a fuck match. Um, but it's actually pretty fun. At least the finish was. Um, Brad Shaw gets the hot tag. He just kills everybody. Um, Tess, you know, Spike Dudley goes for the Dudley dog onto Test, but Test like shot puts this motherfucker outside of the ring through a table that was set up earlier, like literally 10 feet. He just tosses him. And then uh, Brad Shaw comes behind Test and hits him, hits him with the clothesline from hell. But then that goddamn Shane McMahon comes in the ring with a chair, smashes Bradshaw in the head with it, and that gives the uh, the Alliance, I guess, the win here. So other than the fact that Christian helped Edge win the first match, and I'm guessing Shane was just trying to even things up, was there any other reason why this is the only match Shane felt the need to get involved in? Absolutely no reason. Because it just seems like a random match in the scheme of things. It's not for a title. It doesn't decide anything. But this is where Shane feels like his presence is needed the most is to help test in the Dudley boys win a six man tag team match on pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that they lost the Alliance lost the first match. So yeah, like you said, probably just trying to make sure the moment, the momentum swings in the other direction, I guess that didn't work, but ultimately comes into play in the main event. So maybe they were just trying to shoehorn that little yeah. deal there. Who knows? Um, but what do we have after that? Oh, you know what? We need to take a second. Okay. We need to talk about meat for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we can talk about meat um, and uh, PMS or, uh, you know, any any other of those subjects you want to talk about that involve Sean Stasiak. I'm with you. Oh, they're they're all intertwined. It's, it's all a, a layered story of meat. <laughs> so this is like the beginning of uh, meats or whatever, Sean Stasiak's gimmick of like trying to attack everybody but missing which is something I've seen gifs of it. I've seen little clips here and there, but like I said, I wasn't watching during this time, so I, I never got to see it live as it happened. And man, when this <laughs> when he fucking charged at Rock and Rock stepped out of the way because I didn't expect it, I didn't know it was happening at this time. I popped hard for it. I don't know what kind of sense of humor that is, <laughs> but I hate that I have it. <laughs> uh, it's the America's Funniest Home Videos type of sense of humor. Here's my thing. I want to know who he pissed. Like, there are a couple people on the show. I'm like, who did you piss off to get stuck with this gimmick? Where, For real. you know, first off, you come in, you don't even have a name. You're just meat. Uh, you're managed. Now, don't get me wrong. Being managed by Terry Reynolds, Jacqueline, and uh, Ryan Shamrock, not a bad deal. But mm-hmm. you go to WCW, you know, you try and make a name for yourself. Then you come back, and now your whole thing is you have funny colored tights. Deborah doesn't want to talk to you. And you can't tackle anyone for shit. I got Mecca on my tights. I don't even know what Mecca means. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's like crazy because we were talking about earlier with Tess. Like you can throw any of these WCW guys in there. And Sean Stasiak, for all intents and purposes, one of those guys. I mean, you look at him. He's fucking jacked. He has a good look. He's a what second generation wrestler, third generation. He has everything you could possibly want. So it's like, like you said, like, who did he piss off? Yeah. Uh, somebody apparently, because not being able to tackle the rock uh, is not the best spot for him on the show. I guess he gets him on the show, I guess. And doesn't he get, I believe he was tag teaming with Sean O'Hare. Um, is that who Undertaker and Kane beat for the tag titles? That was uh, Chuck Palumbo. 
I thought Chuck came later, but maybe I maybe I've got that mixed no. up. I thought Chuck no, replaced him. Okay. Yeah, because I think Chuck and Sean were champs in WCW before they folded. Were they not? Maybe that's what it was. Is Chuck and Sean were champs, and then they shoehorned Sean into that group and kicked uh, Sean O'Hara in and kicked Sean Stasiak out. You know, Sean well, with an EA instead of an SH. <laughs> of course, like yeah. Taz with two Zs. Exactly. But but Billy and Chuck starts kind of soon, so maybe it ends up being Sean and Stasiak at some point, or like a Sean O'Hare and Sean Stasiak. Who knows? Yeah, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But, I'm just um, I'm I'm reliving my childhood right now. Like it's something. Yeah, it brings everything back. This is like that weird period between the Attitude Era and Ruthless Aggression Era. It's just like kind of like a lost. I don't even know what you call it. I mean, obviously invasion, but like after that, it's just like a bunch of nonsense. We'll call it the lost era. It's the, the lost tapes. Yeah. the lo- WWE 2001, the lost tapes. <laughs> if that's not a DVD or a documentary, get on it, Vince. Yeah. Right. But uh, after that, we have the last ever light heavyweight championship match on WWF TV. Uh, it's a, actually a title versus title match. So it's X-Pac, who is the cruiserweight champion, versus Tajiri, who is the light heavyweight champion. And the winner gets both titles. Or I guess they get unified or whatever the fuck. They probably even haven't even thought it through at this point. Um, man, Tajiri was so over at this point. I forgot how popular this dude was when he debuted. Oh yeah, he was huge in ECW and he had a great gimmick in WCW or uh, WWF. Um even later on when they put him with Tori Wilson um and turned mm-hmm. him heel, like Tajiri has always been talented. And I'd love to talk more about Tajiri, but I think we should just spend the next 5 minutes talking about Uncle Cracker. I think yeah, I think we should just sing the song for the rest of the show. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you start. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I'm doing the dubbed version. It's just that over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> just just replay it, everybody listening. Of all of the people they got to do theme music, Uncle Cracker, and it was only because he was friends with Kid Rock. Like that's the only reason anything ever happened for that guy. But you, you know, I didn't know that, but it, that makes sense. I have no problem believing that. Yeah, no, the, uh, I believe that's how he got his first gig was through Kid Rock, if I'm not mistaken. He even, I think he even had a single out with Kid Rock. God, Kid Rock, Drowning Pool, Uncle Cracker, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> what a time. Let's not forget that American Badass by Kid Rock was the original theme that Undertaker, uh, Biker Taker mm-hmm. came back with, with that twisted brown trucker is there a bigger dildo than kid rock <sighs> sean stasiak yeah fair point touche <laughs> speaking of dildos we have a we have a cruiserweight title match here it's uh x-pac versus jiri and uh I mean, it was a very fun match. It's kind of like a prelude to the cruiserweight division that WWF would have like in the next year, next couple of years, because people forget that there was a lot of good shit happening in the cruiserweight division, like in the early 2000s. Yeah, um, a lot of it. A lot of it with Tajiri. Um, they bring in obviously like Rey Mysterio, uh, Jamie Noble, uh, Brian Kendrick, Paul London, like all those guys 
like in the early 2000s, they bring in and low key having some bangers on pretty much every pay-per-view that they were on. I like, I obviously I remember because they talk about it all the time. Some of the stuff that they did in WCW, the light heavyweight guys, uh, as far as those kind of matches were never really why I tuned in to watch wrestling. I, I appreciate them now going back, but mm-hmm. I was never going to go buy a Brian Kendrick or a Jamie Noble t-shirt. Like they just, they were fun. They had yeah. their place, but at that time it was all about big meaty men. I really love my big meaty men. So as we all know, as we all yes, know, exactly. That's why you're on this podcast. 100%. When you, big when you hit me up, I was like, you know what? This is what I have to do because like Superman on blue chew, the hardest part of the ring will have never been harder than it was today. Man, I need to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. I'm not going to give you credit either. That's fine. I had someone <laughs> you make didn't us, sign anything. I was going to say, I had someone make us a new logo and I mean, he doesn't get any proceeds from it. And I'm selling t-shirts now. So yeah, yeah. Fuck him. His loss. Love you, Vince. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, this match here. Uh, so the ulti- ultimately, uh, Albert comes out like towards the end of the match. I-, I was expecting Albert to like turn on Xbox, Xbox here, just like the weird way that Albert kind of came in at the end. Um, but he kind of just gets on the apron and then Tajiri mists Albert with the red mist. Um, which is da- more dangerous than the green mist. There, there are levels. To the we mist. all know. Yes. What are the levels? Um, so if I remember correctly, the worst is the black mist. The black mist is basically death. Mm. Um, the green mist uh, burns. Um, I think the red mist is supposed to um, almost paralyze you. I actually. Oh, okay. That's, that makes sense why I use it on Albert because he's such a big lad. Yeah. Let Are you Googling they have, yeah, well, I <laughs> miss the mist hierarchy? <laughs> it's important. It's important information to have. It really is. And I, I've actually talked about, oh, you know what? If you type in Japanese wrestling mist, the very first thing that comes up is Asian mist pro wrestling. Are you typing that into Google or into Pornhub? Uh, I'm typing that into Google. Oh, um, okay. Because, yeah. Asian mist and Pornhub is a completely different category that I, I recommend you go check out. That's actually uh, my my street name. Asian Mist. Asian Mist. Uh, is that uh is that what you use when you're doing racist chops? Yes, yes. That's how we open the show is by uh, misting each other with our small Asian penises. Okay, so it says uh, Asian Mist can come in almost any color, but the most common one used is green. Red, the burning mist, is said to burn more. Um, and mm. was used by Tajiri to defeat Rey Mysterio for the WWE Cruiserweight title. And the black mist, the poison mist, blinds you, um, which oh, was no. used on Nydia later. Nydia. Which is why she went you blind. Man, I <laughs> you said black mist blinds you, and that was like instantly in my head for some reason. And blue mist puts you to sleep, and yellow mist paralyzes you. And uh, the brown mist smells really bad, so. Ah, I see. That's sprayed <laughs> That's from a different they- end, though. That's when they ran out of mist, but they need to like do it in the spot in the match, so they just figure it out. Yeah, I get it. It's it's amazing that they, they never like really acknowledge that. You Maybe think, they did with the black mist. You think they talk about you know, especially because not too long ago Oscar was using the green mist that they wouldn't discuss like if Oscar used the red mist, this would happen or blah blah. Like you gotta you gotta get on commentary and really play up the mm. 
the validity of the mist and what it does. I think that's just too much. That's too many layers of storytelling. And the writers the today probably don't even fucking know. They're like, oh, hey, what was that thing the jury used to do? Have Asuka do that. Exactly. Hey, you're, you're kind of a Jap, right? Throw some mist in there, you, you fucking bitch. All right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I thought I thought you were going to ask me about my Canyon story, and I was going to bury this podcast, but... Oh, yes, yes. Please, uh, no, 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 we're not no, at Canyon yet. We're, we're not at Canyon yet. Yeah, you don't want me to do that. No, 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 we're, we're going we're gonna to do it. We're, we're almost at Canyon. Don't worry. Don't worry. But before before we get to Canyon, before we get to Canyon, we have to talk about Perry Saturn and Moppy. So um, have you have you found Moppy yet? I, I haven't. This is, again, was one of those, like, what the fuck did Perry Saturn do <laughs> to... Well, you know, I mean, I don't know if this is the true story. But do you know what, like, the alleged reason for this is? No. So Saturn was wrestling a guy. I think it was, like, on Heat or Metal or one of those shows. And he, like, <laughs> the guy the guy bought, yeah, Metal, right? The guy, he was, it was, like, a local jobber or whatever the fuck. And he, like, botched something. He, like, dropped Perry on his head. And, per- and Perry Saturn, like, really took it out on him. He gave him a stiff shot into the stairs, like, tackled him into it. And just like beat the shit out of this guy, and allegedly, nah, this is, this is dirt sheets or dirt sheets, you know, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. But apparently, that <laughs> some say that this is like punishment for that. Okay, I uh, if it was just a jabber, I don't know why they'd punish him, especially because receipts in wrestling, as we've heard over and over and over again, are very common, and that just sounds like a receipt for a guy not being safe. But uh, it does. Listen, Perry Saturn having a sexual relationship with a mop. Which the logistics of I I don't yeah. Also, Perry Saturn gives me one of my favorite lines from The Rock when the Radicals debuted and The Rock's talking about the Radicals and he's like Perry Saturn, who's got one eye going this way and one eye going that way. I hope the eye that's looking that way sees the Rock hand coming this way so I can slap that crooked eye straight. Man, and Perry Saturn never recovered from that. No, never, not once. (laughs) It is funny though, because it's like, you know, he, the whole Moppy thing is stupid, obviously, but it's like it's getting him on TV every single night. So maybe he likes it to an extent. Yeah. I, now thinking about it, he was with Terry Saturn. He picked a mop over Terry Saturn, or uh, sorry, Terry Reynolds. He was with Terry, Terry Reynolds. Perry Saturn, Terry Saturn. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, he was with Terry Reynolds, and he picked the mop over Terry Reynolds, if I remember. And now that I think about it, it's just if they didn't know what to do with someone they gave Terry Reynolds them as a manager. Like, Mm -hmm, I think she's with Raven at this point. She's with Raven. Uh, She uh, did that whole Terry invitational with the Hardys and Edge and Christian. She's had, she had meat. um, Obviously fucking Perry Saturn for a little while. Yeah. Like we don't know what to do. Give him Terry, give him the horny little she devil. Cause that was a great mm, gimmick. That was good. I always, uh, it was always funny. Always yeah. funny when you Jerry know, Lawler said that Terry was, uh, it was always cold in those arenas. It's the weird, it's the damnedest thing. They, Even with Stephanie McMahon too. Yeah. No, they always turned the AC up when Stephanie and Terry came out. I don't know. It was, it was weird. That was crazy. It's just the aura they bring is very cold and hard. Voluptuous. Yeah. Turgid. Are you touching yourself right now? Um, I'm just prepping myself for uh, Chris Jericho versus Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of horns, we got Rhino. Hold on, hold on. Hold on I got a funny joke. <clears throat> you ready? Yeah. Speaking of horny, we got Rhino versus Chris Jericho. Do you get it? The horns. Yeah. 
rhinos. Yeah. Uh, um, go ahead. I was gonna, you said that, and I thought of John Cena. He rocks a horn on his head. I rock a horn in my shorts. Ah, uh, is his penis? Yeah. He was so cool. clever. He was so clever when he rapped. There's a lot of a lot of dick jokes. A lot of dick jokes. A lot of dick jokes. Well, Vince loves cocks, so you know. I guess who am I to say, right? Mm-hmm. You say Vince loves cock? Yeah, Vince plays over that. Vince loves cock. <laughs> I remember DX. I yes. remember DX. So, um, speaking of cock, we got Stephanie McMahon out there with. Hold on. Speaking of loving cock, we got Stephanie McMahon out there. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> premise here is that Stephanie McMahon hates Chris Jericho because this is like the whole dirty, trash, smelling, slash, smelling, slasher, whore, bag, whatever the fuck it is. Well, no, this is what I was talking about. So this would never fly, but this was some of Jericho's best work. Now, also, not to plug the greatest wrestling city in the world, Chicago, again, but the Mm -hmm. lead up to this pay-per-view, they had The Rock and Jericho in Chicago cutting promos on Stephanie and Rhino and Shane and Booker in one of the funniest promo Fantastic. segments I have ever heard. Amazing. It really was. Yeah, and that's, you know, because speaking of the, of the buildup, you have that, obviously. But you also, I think it was uh, it was two SmackDowns ago, was that famous spot where Rhino gores Chris Jericho through the SmackDown stage. And it's funny because I've always, I've, I've seen that spot a thousand times, but I did not know that that was the last time that they used that stage. Yep. I thought the fist came much later, but they, they, the, the SmackDown previous to this pay-per-view is when they debuted the fist, yep. when they started to fist. Well, don't forget that uh, SmackDown debuted in 99, so it had been around for roughly two yeah. years at this point before they finally decided to change up. So, yeah, two years of the original SmackDown background. But, yeah, no, that, again, you know, say what you want about this era, but there are a lot of promos there are a lot of moments and there are a lot of, you know, just like in the opening of things, famous things that came from builds to pay-per-views like this from this era. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of famous imagery and sound bites come from this time. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, I mean, if you, if you try too hard to think of it like a booker or like, oh, where's the storyline going and all that shit, you might, you know, take yourself out of it. But if you're just like watching the show, it's a pretty fucking fun show and a yeah. pretty fun time to watch wrestling. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. And um, so, yeah, Jericho versus Rhino. And uh, the, the one spot in this match that got me was that midair gore on the outside. So Jericho's on the top rope. Rhino's on the floor on the outside. Jericho leaps through the air to try to crossbody Rhino, but then Rhino catches him with a gore in midair, which looked brutal. Yeah, very brutal. But then uh, otherwise, you know, a pretty solid match. You know, nothing to uh, nothing that you have to like go out of your way to see or anything. But uh, the uh, although I, I should mention that gore that I just went over gave me JR's my favorite JR line of the night. Rhino got half a gore in. What's that? A go? <laughs> Fuck made, JR. Made- <laughs> And then he goes, well, it made Jericho go right down. It's yeah. fun, right? Mm-hmm. We're all having fun. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> but towards the end of the match, um, Jericho has Rhino beat, but then Stephanie gets on the apron, distracts the ref, et cetera, et cetera, shows her tits 
all all the usual. Whoa, 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 whoa. back up. Hmm? Uh, What's up? Show, shows are. Yeah, you didn't see it. You didn't no. see it. Uh, I've waited my entire life to see that. This Stephanie is my favorite Stephanie. Yeah, what makes you say that? Of all of the st- ah, you know what? SmackDown GM Stephanie was really hot. Too. I was about to say that was yeah. uh when she got mm. just a little bit older. Yeah. I did like like I was very into like the crimped hairstyle that she had back at this time though. Ugh. That used to <laughs> that was brutal. That used to do it for me. So Man, this, I think that's our age gap because I don't think there's ever a time in my life where crimped hair was the bee's knees. Really? You're Maybe missing it was. Out, man. I don't missing know. Out. I didn't really I didn't really talk to girls, so it's probably it's probably the source of that. I, I mean, I didn't talk to them either, but I did stare at them a lot. Subtly touch yourself in the corner? Yeah. In my pocket. Little pocket pool. Nothing yeah, wrong with that. Don't worry, buddy. Yeah, shuffle. You know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, seven ball, corner pocket. Can you imagine being Vince's daughter and spending as much time as she did having wrestlers call her a whore? <laughs> in various different ways slut chance yeah oh uh, man um what was it a he said jerry in that promo that i was talking about, he's like we've got the man beast and the hose beast we've got the <laughs> gore and the whore yes. and then like you said you've got the dirty disgusting brutal bottom feeding trash bag hoe like Jericho mm-hmm. found every way in the book to call Stephanie McMahon a slut. Yep. And all she did was get roofied and married Triple H. Like it's not like she was sleeping around. Exactly. She wasn't Terry Reynolds jumping from fucking guy to guy every six weeks. Like, mm-hmm. well, you know, she, she was with Triple H and then, you know, Triple H goes down with an injury and now she's with Rhino and then, uh, funny enough, <laughs> it's funny all this we're talking about Jericho calling Stephanie a hoe and all that. Stephanie's going to be with Chris Jericho in a matter of months after this, mm-hmm. which is just goes back to how like directionless everything was at this time. Well, I mean, according to Jericho, she was easy. So I mean, that is what they say. That that's what the crowd tells me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Would you, you know, as far as Vince's children goes, would you rather? Your daughter get called a slut, or your son get called a pussy every week. Ooh, because both are happening. Both uh, are happening. Um, I'm gonna go have my son called a pussy because at least my son can try and fight his way out of that and prove it. And Shane did. You know, Shane then went on mm. to uh, jump off very high things to prove he wasn't and make a name for himself. So I'm I'm gonna go with calling my son a pussy over calling my daughter a whore. That's a good point because you can't prove that you're not a whore. Right. You can prove that you are a whore, but you can't, you know. Once people call you Man. that, unfortunately, you're just kind of saddled with it. And also, if you called my son a pussy, I might want to hit you. If you call my daughter a whore, I'm probably going to tear your head off. So, Yeah. Yeah. But people that are not whores or pussies, Jeff Hardy and RVD. I will disagree with that 100%. <laughs> you know, as I was saying it, I was like, well, that's, <sighs> kind of, that's kind of wrong. Um. <clears throat> I don't know how much of our show you've listened to, but uh, I'm really glad we got to watch this match because it, it proves something to me. What's that? And I, I might piss off your entire fan base. I don't care. Um, I'm not a Jeff Hardy fan. I've never been a Jeff Hardy fan. 
this hardcore mm-hmm. title scene is exactly where Jeff Hardy belongs. Like right now in 2020, he should be in the 24 seven title picture. That's where he belongs because this is what Jeff Hardy is. And this is what Jeff Hardy does. And this is why Jeff Hardy got over, but this is, this is his niche and this is where he should stay. Jeff Hardy got over in a time where Jackass was popular and he was doing Jackass stuff. Let me ask you a question. What's your favorite Jeff Hardy promo? Hmm. Probably is uh is heel promos in TNA. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite Je- like what is Jeff Hardy's big quotable catchphrase that you can put on a t-shirt? Swanton. Uh-huh. <laughs> and how many five-star matches, four-star matches, hell, three and a half-star matches have Jeff Hardy had that didn't involve some kind of gimmick? No tables, no ladders, just straight up wrestling match in ring. I mean, you can say the same thing about Stone Cold. <sighs> no, not really. Every, every, all of his matches are no holds barred or fucking steel cage street fight. Any of his good matches, at least. Eh, possibly. But that was also working around the limitations that he had once he had his neck broken. Nah, what a pussy way out. Whereas Stone Cold was one of the best technical wrestlers, which is why he was called the ringmaster when he was brought into WWF. Jeff Hardy has never been a great technical wrestler. He just falls down a lot off things, and people love it. Like I said, it's the jackass mentality. He was... Basically, you know, wrestling's Johnny Knoxville and people loved him. I mean, look, I I get where you're coming from as far as him not being like a technical wrestler. But to me, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not a good wrestler because in pro wrestling, it's more than just technical ability. It's more than promos. It's more than catchphrases. You can be charismatic. Being charismatic is not as not the same as being good on the mic. Like Jeff Hardy is one of those guys, even like RVD or like a Shinsuke Nakamura or uh, countless other guys that are very charismatic and are very over with the crowd just based on their their body language, their the things they do in the ring, outside of the ring, the physical stuff they do that kind of translates that charisma to the audience. And that's why Jeff Hardy was so over at this point and like through the rest of his career, even till today. And yeah, a lot of his matches, at least his like highlight matches, were gimmick matches. All of them. But I don't, I don't think that necessarily detracts from the quality of them. I think, if anything, it's amazing that he's able to go through all those gimmick matches and still be able to wrestle twenty years after this. And that's fair. Um, to me, it's not even the matches; it's spots in the matches, and that's my point. Is like, it's the big things he does, the things he jumps off of, the things he falls off of, even like. With Rob Van Dam, you've got the RVD with, you know, the finger pump. But Jeff's whole thing was from the Hardy Boys and from Matt. It wasn't even really his originally, you know, with the the finger guns. So mm-hmm. I just, there's nothing about Jeff Hardy that ever screamed world champion to me. Whereas 24-7 title guy, entertaining as shit, great spots, 100%. You know, I just, I never got it. Okay, I disagree with the 24-7 title completely just because of his career that he had before that and where he is on the card. We got to do but something. I will, 
and we need to refresh they that twenty four seven. We need to refresh that twenty four seven title. Re- yes, uh, we do. Give it to Jeff Hardy. Let him fall off. Shit, it'll be entertaining as shit. Everyone will love refresh it. Refresh it by throwing it in the trash. God damn it. <laughs> we don't need this goddamn twenty four seven title. I had enough. Oh, man, what are we gonna do with our truth then? Huh? Fucking have him uh, wrestle Jeff Hardy. Uh, Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> I, I will say, though, in 2001, I agree with you. I don't think he was in any, in any position to be in the world title picture at all. And I thought him being a hardcore champion was perfect for him, especially facing RVD. However, as he would progress on, you know, and I, I would say the same thing, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003, and then he went to TNA for a little bit, comes back to a huge, you know, everybody still loves him. And then ultimately wins the title in what two thousand eight or something, and I thought the build to him winning the title was great. Thank I thought God. he looked like a star. He looked, you know, he was having great matches with Triple H and Edge, and um, all the other guys that were on SmackDown at the time. And him winning the title at Armageddon in two thousand eight felt legitimate. If it didn't feel out of place, and Jeff Jeff was never the guy that's going to like hold a world title for a long time and be like that dominant champion. That's just, it's he's a a lifelong babyface, and ultimately, it's it's there's more value in the chase for the title than there is in him being the champion. The same for like guys like Rey Mysterio, even guys like like RVD to an extent. I know he had like a long title runs in ECW or not, but as far as like WWE RVD, I would say the same thing about that. And you know, like Dan, like Daniel Bryan as a face, guys like that that are like these. It's all about the chase more so than being a champion. So in that in that sense, I kind of agree with you that he's not like a guy that's gonna like hold the title and be that champion. But I think he provides a lot of value you at least what? later in his career. Uh, to be fair, I, I was wrong. I think I did not see any of this. I think it was 2008 that I took a break. I think I took a break from like 2008 to 2013 from wrestling. Um, right. And so this was, a, so I didn't, I didn't watch any of Jeff Hardy and TNA. Um, I, I, I heard as much. Yeah. I, I heard a lot about what happened over there, but I didn't watch any of Jeff Hardy and TNA. And I did not watch any of Jeff Hardy as actual champion and the title run. So seeing him, I guess, at the the height of his uh, popularity and run, I guess maybe that's mm-hmm. why I don't view him the way everyone else does. So uh, I'm not going to admit that on my show, but <laughs> here I'll say it because on my show, my gimmick is I bury him because he's trash. Well, you better not invite me on your show at ever because I'm just going to do nothing but talk about Jeff Hardy. Oh, great. Because Jeff Hardy is literally my favorite wrestler of all time. Really? And that's because, I mean, at, at this point, I'm probably, what, what was it, 2001? So I'm like, I'm eight years old at this point. And, I mean, Jeff Hardy was the shit to me. The Hardy Boys were mostly Jeff Hardy. And you said you stopped watching in 2008, which that does. It, it gives you a warped view of Jeff Hardy. Because if you just, if you think of this Jeff Hardy in 2001, and you try to shift that guy into a world champion... I could see where it'd be, it seemed kind of ridiculous and out of place, but he really did have a, a stretch there in the late 2000s. He had that feud with CM Punk. I don't know if you've seen any of that, but that was fantastic. Oh, I have, because CM Punk's from Chicago, and he made fun of Jeff for all of his drug issues, and I really enjoyed that. Exactly. It was perfect. It was a perfect blend. It was a perfect storyline. Which was okay back um, then, but in 2020, we shouldn't talk about that. No, 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 no. We can't do that. Although, I mean... Does every fucking heel have to <laughs> make fun of Jeff's drinking? Christ. No, they should do what I do and bag on him for not having any talent. Well, you know that what? Why fun. don't you 
drive to Orlando. Okay. Train to be a wrestler. Okay. Get in the ring. Have okay. a promo with Jeff Hardy and tell him his peepee small or whatever, whatever your promo, whatever your catchphrase is. <laughs> whatever my catchphrase. <laughs> that, 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 that's what I picture it would be. Did you think that you'd be on a show with another host where you talk about penis more than you did with Kenny? <sighs> Man, I've, I've talked about penises way more than I intended to when I started this podcast. I forgot I was going to call you a bunch of random fucking South Park names throughout this whole show, too. So <laughs> Clyde. Chokes on dick. Yeah. Chef. I was just I was going to call you like Leopold, Clyde, Eric, just randomly throughout the show. Well, you're still looking for it. You're still looking for it. <laughs> Watch this be some like B-side South Park character like uh, I don't even know. Um, it's OK, Craig. Nope. Nope. But speaking of tiny penises. <laughs> I guess we should talk about this match, Jeff Hardy versus RVD, because God damn it, it was an amazing match. You know, spot fest, wh- whatever you want to call it, it was entertaining as hell, okay, no, in my opinion. Like I said, this is where Jeff belonged, and this was fantastic, because this is what Jeff does. And how the fuck did he not break his legs in this match? Dude, there were so many things. Like, uh, I mean, we're not going like, to... If, if, if I tried to talk about every spot in this match, this podcast would be fucking five hours long. But, like... It's crazy because this is kind of fresh off of that TLC match at WrestleMania, and like they they had I think they had all the like the three major TLC matches at this point. So there was like a very high bar set for a ladder match, especially including Jeff Hardy. Mm-hmm. So and it was an interesting dynamic because all these ladder matches that we've seen have been like tag team matches, like there's like six or eight guys in there. So having a one on one ladder match kind of gave them a different platform and had had forced them to be unique, which I, um, you know, watching the match, they definitely tried a bunch of new shit, um, new at the time, at least like, uh, like all the teeter totter stuff, the ladder, um, a spot where RVD is, he has Jeff Hardy. So the the ladder is like in between the, the second ropes in the corner, Mm -hmm. Jeff Hardy's on top or it's like on the ground or something. Jeff Hardy's on a ladder in the corner, RVD, leaps off the opposite corner and does a rolling thunder like all the way across the ring which was hilariously awesome oh no he is insane the things that rvd can do almost nobody else can do and it is ridiculous Mm -hmm. yeah both these guys are in their physical primes for sure um definitely different styles but kind of similar in a sense both very car crashy but rvd is a little bit more uh martial arty to use the technical term Mm-hmm. And Jeff Hardy's the, <laughs> the guy that can take all the offense. Jeff Hardy is a glorified stunt double. We're not gonna we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna do this. Okay, I'm sorry. We'll move on from. <laughs> um, but man, the, I need to talk about this spot at the end where Jeff Hardy is hanging from the belts, and uh, RVD like tries to swing him. And then he leaps to the top rope, springboards off, and tries to hit like Misses. a sidekick. Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> the RVD had a lot of confidence in himself because he's, he's essentially, if you haven't seen the match, anybody listening, RVD is trying to jump from the top turnbuckle to hit somebody that's hanging from the title that's in the middle of the ring and swinging. So they're moving. It's a moving target he's trying to hit. So I think the premise here is RVD was trying to make him swing so that our, that Jeff could like swing towards him so that he was a little bit closer, but it, it just didn't work. 
it was uh <laughs> it just rvd misses and then jeff just falls and fucking i don't know how he doesn't break his leg exactly like he landed ankles first and and we just saw there's a video going around that was fucking trending on twitter where that guy just jumped off the fucking like second rope and shattered both of his ankles i still haven't seen that i i can't get myself to watch it somehow jeff hardy drops from fucking 10 feet in the air onto his feet like a fucking cat again he is a stunt man like he is he he drinks a lot of milk he drinks a lot of milk that's a secret that's a secret to his longevity a lot of two percent oh we're doing the two percent thing (laughs) no we're not okay i just have to i have to slide it in there every episode but um (laughs) that's not the only thing you try to slide in this episode yeah go ahead tell me what else do I slide in? Well, I mean, do you want to talk about that? Or is that something we should my, say for Pornhub? Is it my tuna can penis? <laughs> tuna can. <laughs> uh, there's no slide uh, the tuna can in. That, that's all force. No, that is... Um, yeah, twist that baby in. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of twisting it in, Jeff Hardy, at the end of this match, gets pushed off the ladder. And takes that bump, which I think you were alluding to earlier, where he like goes leg first into the ropes. It like I guess he was trying to like wishbone himself like on top of the ropes, but he ended up just like just bending his legs in directions mm-hmm. that they're not supposed to bend. And then RVD gets up, puts the ladder back up, climbs the ladder. Jeff tries to get up. He starts to climb the ladder to stop him, but RVD grabs the title and is your new hardcore champion, which. Reminds the viewer that they are putting their bodies on the line for a title that Crash Holly lost in a Chuck E. Cheese. Wow, really? Really? We're going to go there. Because 24-7 hardcore title was a highlight. I don't appreciate (laughs) you. I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I'm just saying. I'm a a big Crash Holly mark. uh, Somebody posted like the best or uh, America's favorite fast foods. And they had all these, you know, every state and it listed there. Somehow Chuck E. Cheese was listed as Illinois favorite fast. I don't fucking get that. And it wasn't just Illinois, like throughout the Midwest. So I'm trying to figure out like who in America associates Chuck E. Cheese to Illinois. That's where all the pedophiles are going. So they're probably bringing in a lot of revenue. Yeah, That's what they base it on. That could be. It says a lot about your state. Yeah, I mean, a lot. I mean, Virginia was McDonald's, so I don't know. I, I'm not in a much better position. Uh, here's the thing. Like, there's Illinois, and then there's Chicago. And Chicago is kind of like Washington, D.C. Like, it's its own thing inside of Illinois. The rest of the state, they don't really, they don't want anything to do with us, and we don't claim them. I, I don't like you trying to pawn off Chuck E. Cheese onto everybody else. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> On, like onto it. Rosemont or whoever the fuck. I, I, I couldn't tell you one more city other than Chicago. That's another. Oh no, no, no. Like, well, we're talking like Springfield stuff like that. The the Chicagoland area, uh, even the suburbs outside of Chicago, still considered part of Chicago. Hmm. Like Rosemont. Yeah. That's why. WWE that's why WWE from. always says we're in Chicago when they're like forty five minutes outside of the city. <laughs> The shadow of the Chicago skyline, mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck they say. But, even um, uh, even AEW does it when they come. They don't. They come to fucking Hoffman Estates. They don't go to Chicago. That's what happens when I come to. You come in Hoffman. Yeah. Speaking of which, this brings us to Canyon. Yeah, it does. But you, uh, what, what, what you, what you got on Canyon? So, all right. 
I unintentionally <laughs> uh, shamed Canyon for being gay in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's not a funny story. That's why I said this is a very unfunny story. So I apologize ahead of time. Uh, 2003, I was 16 and uh, my birthday is April 5th. The show was April 10th. So it was two weeks after WrestleMania 19 in Chicago. It was a SmackDown. Uh, the main event was John Cena versus The Undertaker, which was really cool. Um, my dad, who doesn't watch wrestling, had gotten me and two of my friends and himself tickets and took us out there. So uh, the four of us were, you know, at the show watching and we made signs because back in the day, you know, people actually showed up to shows with signs like a shit ton of them. You tried to find your sign uh, after you recorded the episode on VHS, you'd go home and watch it. Even in 2003, mm-hmm. that was still a thing. Um, and then after the show, you know, you'd go out back and try and meet the wrestlers if that was what you were into. So. We all made our signs, and on the drive down there, uh, my buddy Phil, who was a couple years younger than me and my buddy John, um, he made his sign, and it it had his name with the arrow so he could try and find himself. Big sign said Phil. Uh, We wrote, is gay, on his sign, because we were 16, and we thought it was funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So then, after the show, we're outside. Everyone signed an autograph, or they've got wrestlers out there signing autographs. Canyon, who wasn't even on the show, is there. And we walk up to the fence and Phil hands Canyon his sign and he looks at it and he reads it and he goes, who's Phil? And this poor little 14 year old kid who at the time we had no idea Canyon was gay. And if we had like this, Uh it's not okay. But he goes, I'm Phil, but I'm not fucking gay. (laughs) And Canyon just looks at him and he just looks so, I I don't know how to describe it because I didn't get it at the time. But looking back on it, just like disappointed, I guess. Oh, my God. Because we had no idea. Like, we had no idea that, you know, I was, when I was on the internet back then, I was trying to find, like, Kimberly Page's Playboy pictures or Sable's Playboy pictures. I wasn't looking up, like, facts about Chris Canyon. Why not? It just, I had other interests, and they all involved my penis. And, unfortunately, Chris Canyon Mm. wasn't one of those interests. But are those interests better than him? Uh, No, because nobody is better than Canyon and neither of my interests. That's my impression. That's the impression I got, man. That's uh, I thought you like shamed Canyon like online. Oh no, no. Like I said, or... it was unintentionally like <laughs> it we was just... to his fucking face. Yeah, it was to his face <laughs> and it was completely unintentional. And I, I actually do feel bad about it. Cause I know he went through some shit later and you know, especially in 2003 or when he was wrestling to be gay mm-hmm. in that industry was not easy. So, no, not at all. That's a rough one. Yeah. And I was an asshole at 16, so. Why are, you, why are you pretending like it stopped at 16? I Listen, I, I found a beautiful woman who made me a much better person. So now I'm only slightly an asshole compared to like a giant asshole. Ah, so you're like a, uh, a puckered up asshole. Yeah, I'm a reformed asshole. You're no longer a gaping asshole. Correct. A reformed asshole, he says. Yes. <laughs> Is there meetings for that or... Uh... Yeah, it takes a lot of introspection, a little a little talking out, and a lot of exercise. A lot of butthole exercise? You ever do asshole Kegels? Not on purpose. You got to tighten them up. Tighten them up. Yeah. Yeah. What if I just ended the podcast there? You, you could. I mean, we still have Austin <laughs> Rock to talk about, but who's here for that? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody paid to see that. Everybody paid to see DDP and Canyon. Versus Undertaker and Kane. 
for all of the tag team titles. Um, like I mentioned before, both the WWF tag team titles and the WCW tag titles are on the line in a steel cage, a, a, a salad steel cage. So we all we brought up the stalker angle before. It's all fucking kooky and weird with DDP. DDP never really had a chance <laughs> with that whole thing. Dude, and then after this, the fucking power of positivity bullshit where he was like a TED Talk speaker and he had the fake mm. teeth. Like, they really did <laughs> just fuck DDP. Again, who did he piss off? So here, I have a fun fact. Okay. I have a fun fact. So apparently, before this match, DDP, because DDP is notorious for like, wanting his matches to be like scripted to have like every beat, you know, planned and memorized and all that. Apparently again, this is dirt sheets, whatever the fuck, whatever. But apparently DDP gave undertaker a script for this match. (laughs) Now, if I can, if I could think of one person in the world that I would not want to give a script for a wrestling match, it'd be the fucking undertaker. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yep and i mean if that's true i mean we all know undertaker even at this point is a major he's he's the face you know of the of the company he has a lot of political power and if that is true that's probably explains a lot of ddp's downfall after this yeah because uh, um again undertaker my favorite wrestler one of the greatest of all time as opposed to yours jeff hardy well I guess, you know, Undertaker did beat Jeff Hardy in a match before, so I guess I can't argue. And that's what got him over. Like, if it wasn't for the Undertaker, he icy champ at best. So I have to blame Undertaker. I have to blame my you're, favorite wrestler for the success of yours. You're an icy champ at best. How do you think about that? Uh, I'd, I'd be happy with the icy title. I, I think I'd have a good run. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd be good with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you would fit in with like Godfather and D'Lo Brown or whoever the fuck was winning it. First off, D'Lo's from Chicago and Godfather. I would 100% fit in with Godfather. I would spend, if I was not married, I would spend every day with the Godfather and the hoes and the hoe train. Mm-hmm. And I'd never get married. And I'd live a meaningless, soulless, terrible life that would have a lot of amazing stories to tell. I read a book, but did you? No, I would. Did you? I would. Oh, would you? Okay. I would. But good thing, you know, you ended up being the good father instead, right? Ah, uh, yeah. A lot of sleeveless button ups with ties. How did you know that was yeah. in my? You know, that was my normal repertoire. You know, sometimes you can just you can just tell by somebody's voice that they wear a lot of sleeveless button ups. Yeah, yeah. It seems it just seems right. It just seems right. And clip-on ties. Of course. I mean, you got to make the ensemble complete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So Undertaker and Kane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what'd you think of this match? I, it's an Undertaker-Kane match. It was there to basically just, like you said, beat the crap out of DDP for the story. Undertaker 100% has a type. Um, we see that with his wife at this time, Sarah, and then Michelle yeah. Cool. <laughs> If if you look back, Undertaker one hundred percent has a type. Uh, thank God I think he, got he definitely that, upgraded. Yeah, thank God he got that Sarah tattoo uh, covered up. Um, oh, what a good decision. This was my favorite Kane though. This era Kane, this this look, this two thousand one Kane with the uh, 
the singlet top and the tights. This was the most mm-hmm. jacked cane was. This is of all Monster. of the canes, my favorite cane. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, because I mean, if you think it, this match is essentially a squash, really. I mean, it was kind of a glorified squash. I don't know if that's punishment for DDP. I don't know if they just wanted to bury WCW. Well, let's think about um, this. Canyon, because nobody's better than him, was able to escape the cage and get away. But the match mm-hmm. didn't stop there. They just left DDP to get beat up alone. So I exactly. definitely say it was punishment. Yeah, I mean, this match is weird because it starts out. The match starts out and it's like two singles matches happening in the ring at the same time. So it was kind of awkward in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like you said, Canyon escapes and it, there's this like badass imagery of Undertaker where he's like standing on top of the cage and he has like DDP and it like in the corner over there, Kane and Canyon are in the other corner. Ca- Canyon's trying to get out. Undertaker points at Kane. He's like, let him go. Let him go. As he's like standing on top of the cage and then Canyon scurries. He says, fuck this. Um, which, like you said, leaves DDP alone in a handicap match. Of you think sorts. that was in the script? I doubt it. I sincerely, <laughs> I sincerely, doubt. I think it, the script involved a lot more heat for DDP. <laughs> a lot of diamond cutters in that script. <laughs> a lot of flatliners from Canyon, but nope. Oh. This, uh, they, 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 they improvised, I guess. And um, it's funny because Undertaker and Kane are in there with DDP, who is alone. And then Kane just sits in the corner, just with his hand, hands crossed. Hilarious. Just watching Undertaker whip the shit out of DDP with a chain. Where I don't even I don't even know where that came from. But this really did ruin my childhood. Like like I said, I grew up with DDP as one of my favorite my probably my favorite wrestler in WCW. I think it was DDP and then Sting. And I'm just yeah. watching one of my favorite all-time WCW wrestlers be utterly destroyed and embarrassed by my favorite wrestler of all time and it's like was i really that bad of a judge of character back then or i mean you hate jeff hardy so it's very clear that you've always had that bad judgment so (laughs) fair enough i mean matt's better but it is what it is okay we're not that's a whole other podcast i think yeah so uh yeah etc etc under undertaker and kane win uh with a last ride from the undertaker which did, did you prefer the last ride or the tombstone tombstone? I, like I said, I'm a huge undertaker fan and I didn't mind the last ride. I thought it was cool, but I will always be a tombstone guy. That is to me, that is the yeah. undertaker. Yeah. It's hard to argue against it. I think the last ride, especially when done well, looks badass as hell, but I think the tombstone, you, you can't, you can't argue against it. Favorite memory from this time was undertaker trying to teach Kane how to do the last ride <laughs> and Kane yes. just throwing guys over his head, not being able to do it. It was like Kai and Ty or somebody. Mm-hmm. God, what a Indeed. time this, this was for the brothers of destruction. Um, but yeah, like I said, pretty much a squash, but that leads us to a match that was not a squash. In fact, was <laughs> way more amazing than I expected it to be. Stone cold, Steve Austin versus Kurt angle. For the WWF Championship. So, first of all, I was surprised that this wasn't the main event. But I think um, once like the show concludes, it kind of makes sense. But um, I'm with you on that. I, I I looked at this and I was like, really, Austin versus Angle is not the main event, and that tells you it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the transition because about two years from now, 
Austin's going to wake, make his way out of the company. And this is kind of the, this is also kind of the reason why here, uh, this is SummerSlam. So in about six to eight months when the NWO comes in, you've got mm-hmm. Austin at WrestleMania in the middle of the card facing, um, Scott Hall. And you've got the rock taking on Hogan instead of vice versa. Mm-hmm. This is definitely yep. a transition period. Yep. That, that was the exact thought I had because it's like a lot when the rock returned, right? He returned like a few weeks before this from filming that uh, famous movie, the mummy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's around the time where stone cold turned his back on the WWF and joined the Alliance. Now the reasoning behind it in kayfabe was that Stone Cold was annoyed that Vince McMahon was prepping for Rock's return. He was upset and insecure and paranoid that Vince McMahon was giving more attention to The Rock than Stone Cold, and that's why he turned his back on Vince and the WWF and joined the Alliance. Which, I'm watching this promo from Austin, I'm like, man, that's kind of a stupid fucking reason. That doesn't make any sense. But then you bring this up, we have Stone Cold in the uh, like the co-main event, and like you said, at WrestleMania, he's again like in the middle of the card, so we're seeing this transition and I'm almost wondering, like, is that like actually what he thought? Maybe that maybe rock was taking the reins and stone cold was kind of taking a step back. I, I would guess that's probably what was going through his mind. Yeah. Sorry. I was uh, trying to Google the stone cold theme song thing that we were talking about earlier. Um, <laughs> it's crucial. It, well, so you talk about stone cold and I'm thinking about this entrance and then all I can think is step up. Cause you're the next one that I'm about. like, I love that. That was like, yeah. don't get me wrong. The classic Austin theme is the classic Austin theme, but that disturbed song was a fucking banger. So I'm like, is he right? Was there another theme song? And was it this trash? Because this was garbage. But I, th- I think that's the idea though. Yeah. Because this, the disturbed song was such a banger and it got everybody on their feet and cheering. And that's not what they wanted for Stone Cold at this point. So they gave him a more uh, subdued kind of song that people could boo him to, I think. I think that's the idea. That could be. That could be. Um, I'm not going to play it. No, no, I'm not going to play it. But they do have the 2000-2001 theme song for Stone Cold here, so which would be that. Yeah. Uh, and it says Venomous. So Yeah, I, I was about to say, it's called Venom or Venomous or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he used it for a little God, bit. God damn it. Why you got to be right? Yeah, actually, another fun thing. There was actually a theme in between Disturbed in this, which was essentially like his original theme, but just like with the bass turned down lower and yeah. shit. They're figuring it. They were trying to figure things out with stone cold and uh, they didn't really hit the mark <laughs> a lot of times. But back to what you were saying, this was definitely a transition period and probably a reflection of what was really going on because the rock was definitely gaining momentum on stone cold. Stone cold had been dominating the WWF for the last four years or so. And the top of the card mm-hmm. feuding with everyone and, you know, he kind of, the rock got into that feud and now Babyface rock is slowly overtaking Austin and momentum. So Vince preparing for the rock to come back and not giving Austin his due, um, might've been a little bit of the truth. Cause we saw when they wanted to put Brock over Austin, which I don't agree with, by the way, how Austin was like, you know what? Fuck this. And took his ball and went home. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there might've been a little bit of truth behind the scenes to what was going on here. I'm sure. And I mean, ultimately, you know, just to kind of, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but this match ends in like a non-finish and then Rock and Booker 
ends with Rock winning the title. So ultimately, I think the structure of the show was based on the fact that they wanted this to uh, send the crowd home happy. So maybe that's we're thinking too much into it at this point. But I think there are probably little seeds here and there. When um, did the uh, milk involved. truck happen? Was that after this? Yes, I think that was pretty soon after this. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know Austin was champion. He was with the Alliance when Kurt Angle came out and did that. But again, this led to that. Like this feud with Austin mm-hmm. and Kurt Angle led to that iconic moment. So you say what you want about this being the lost tape period. There's so much that happened in this era that you look mm-hmm. back, that those of us who were fans look back on fondly and loved. Yeah, and I mean, even this match, like, I think the fact that it was a DQ finish kind of waters it down a little bit. But this is probably, as far as, like, one-on-one Stone Cold matches, I mean, you have, like, the Bret Hart match and stuff. But other than that, I can't think of a better one-on-one Stone Cold match. You know, Can you? I... There are some really good and underrated Austin and Undertaker singles matches that no one talks about, but um, you see, yeah. I've never really, I never really liked the Stone Cold Undertaker matches. I thought they were kind of just like, I don't know, it just never clicked for me. Even like him and Triple H, a lot of their matches, I, I didn't really get into that much. I could see that. Uh, this definitely was the most that we saw. Like he's doing fucking uh, top rope superplexes. This isn't the yeah. normal. Uh, stomp a mud hole, Luthez press, Stone Cold Stunner. You know, say what you want about John Cena and his three moves of doom, but Austin, for the majority of his run, was basically, you know, three to five moves of doom. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, all, most of the guys, most of the big names at this point were, were similar. Yeah. Even like Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Undertaker, they all have, they all have their hits that they do, but the crowd loves it. So mm-hmm. they stick with their hits. So, uh, no, this was definitely one of, like you said, one of the better matches that we got out of Stone Cold, which was great, especially this late into his active career, you know, with the neck injury and all the nagging stuff that was going on at this time. Cause yeah. Cause literally he, he had just, I mean, obviously he had that initial break at, uh, what was it? SummerSlam 97. Mm -hmm. Um, from a guy that you guys talked about in your SummerSlam 94 episode that you did with Kenny, the nugget himself. Owen Hart. The Nugget. <laughs> I am the not rocket, a Nugget. God damn it. I'm a Blackheart. Damn it. God, he's, he had so many bad nicknames, Owen Hart. Yeah. What, a, what a shit gig. But uh, but yeah, man. So like it was, Um, I think it was, inv- no, not Invasion. What was the one? King of the Ring um, 2001 is where Undertaker, uh, not Undertaker, Stone Cold uh, re-injured his neck in that match. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, lag nagging effects from the initial break. So yeah, like you said, he's dealing with all those neck injuries. He took like a month off, um, where he was. That's when he was doing like all the promos with. Funny enough, with Kurt Angle, like all the comedy stuff and the "I'm a real cowboy" all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, he he put he whipped out a superplex. He was taking all these suplex, all these angle slams and German suplexes. It was like, man, Austin is going all out. In this match, and Kurt Angle kicked out of the stunner twice, three times, three times, three, three times. times. Yeah, talk about putting somebody over. God, he's Kurt is got so much color. He's a he's a crimson mask, as they say. And um, you know, there were there were times where this was very Attitude Era. You know, they're fighting in the crowd and outside by the announce table and stuff. But there is also semblances of the more modern style in the ring, like we mentioned, with the superplexes and. Like uh, Austin whipped out the Cobra Clutch 
and then uh, you know Kurt was trying to fight out of it. He like counters it into a pin and all that stuff. A lot of good false finishes, both with that kind of stuff and with all the stunners and plus you got the imagery of Kurt bleeding. You have um really good build up to this match in general. And I think all of that kind of contributes to how awesome this match was. Um and like I said, you know, the finish I think is what prevents it from being one of the best matches ever. Maybe not best matches ever, but one of the top <laughs> matches. <laughs> Maybe one, one of the, the be- one of the best matches of two thousand one. Oh, absolutely one of the, one of the best Stone Cold matches yeah. as far as you know from a technical standpoint. So Austin is just kicking the shit out of all the refs. He uh, uh, Kurt Angle kicks out of the, the 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 third stunner, then Stone Cold knocks out the ref with the right hand. Another ref comes out. Stone Cold stuns him. Another ref comes out. He hits him with the title belt. And these are all WWF referees. Mm-hmm. Then the fourth referee comes out after Kurt Angle hits the angle slam onto Stone Cold. WCW referee Nick Patrick comes out, runs to the ring, slides in the ring, starts to count, and he's like, no, 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 never mind. And he rings the bell, DQs Stone Cold for excessive, what was it, excessive abuse of officials. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a hilarious reason. So, and I'm going to put on my, uh, my, my Kenny voice here real quick. Um, from a storytelling standpoint, this is actually fantastic because Nick Patrick at this time, uh, looking back on it, was that traditional WCW heel ref that was screwing everyone over. So after mm-hmm. seeing Kurt Angle kick out of three stunners, everything that Stone Cold has, sending him out there and having him throw out the match to save Stone Cold, like from a to- storytelling point, this is actually really great. You know, because mm-hmm. now, again, we're going to go from here to Kurt Angle challenging Stone Cold for the WWF title and doing the milk truck stuff and doing everything. So you're really like, now you've put Kurt Angle over. He's kicked out of three stunners, he's almost beat Stone Cold. And Nick Patrick came out here after taking out all the WWF refs and threw the match out and saved Stone Cold. So now you really mm-hmm. want to see, now you know Kurt Angle can beat him. Now you want to see Kurt Angle beat him. So really, even though it's SummerSlam and it should be the blow-off, uh, this was really a great build to where they were going in the future. And great storytelling. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And they're building to Kurt winning the title in his hometown, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but that's a whole, I mean... Then, then he, they reverse it and it's a whole thing. And then it's funny because it's like, like I said, Kurt and Austin were doing all the comedy stuff together like a month before this. Then they have this like blood feud for a few months. And then like a month after that, Kurt turns on the WWF and joins the Alliance and Stone Cold. So it's, it's all a mess if you look at it in that like that macro sense. But um, this match itself was great. And that, like you said, the storytelling was on point, I think. And it really led into uh, their future matches very well. Well, thank you, Wendy. Nope. Still haven't got it. Damn. <laughs> it's like, who the fuck is Wendy? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that brings us to the main event. Weirdly enough, WWF SummerSlam is main evented in a match for the WCW championship. The Rock versus the champion Booker T. Who? So, is this bizarre to see Booker T in the main event at SummerSlam so soon after him like debuting? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, The Rock. I mean, he's f- fresh off his return, so he's super hot. And you know, Rock and Booker have had some hilarious segments 
you know, leading up to this on the mic and. You oh, know, oh a- again, we're going to go back to that, that Chicago promo. Uh, I see yep. what's going on here. It's a little rhyming contest between you and the rock. <laughs> Booker T and Shane. The punk ass sucker and the silver spoon motherfucker. Like, <laughs> dude, that, Tremendous. that Jericho rock promo has got to be one of the greatest promos of all time. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's amazing. I watched it yesterday. It was incredible. And um, it, like he had all the pieces that you needed. You had the St- Stephanie as the fodder, mm-hmm. and then you have Jericho and Rock, who are like the best guys on the mic at this point. I didn't talk about this, and I forgot. I, I had it in the like three notes that I took. I used mm-hmm. to think that Stephanie was fantastic, and watching back, her acting was fucking trash. Terrible. Terrible. Oh my God. Oh, when she stormed off and threw a hissy fit after the Jericho match, I'm like, what the... F-? Like, I thought, I, watching it in 2001, I'm like, you know, don't even think about it. But now I'm watching. I'm like, dude, you were bad, dude. It was even like worse when uh, you know Triple H was still around and she was with him. And it, this is always a super pet peeve of mine. I always hated that she called Triple H Triple H. It's her, it's her <laughs> fucking husband. Call him fucking Hunter. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I would call Triple H Triple H if we were in a relationship. Yeah, well, you're not sucking his dick. If I I was, I would. I'd look up and I'd be like, is that good, Triple H? It's all about the game? Yeah. Sledgehammer or something? There's there's something in there. There's a joke that can be made. We have all the tools. We just got to craft it. Something about my lips. Yeah, no, we'll get there. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, We'll just put it in in post. So I don't know how we got to Triple H's dick, but we're talking about the Rock and Booker T. God damn it. We've talked about and, uh, just about every wrestler's dick so far on the show. Who do you think had a bigger dick, Rock or Booker T? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with the Rock. I'm going to go with the Rock. There's something about the confidence that the Rock carries that makes me think he's just fucking mm. packing. Hung like a shark. Yeah. Got a heavy dangle. Yeah. Shark? Do sharks have big dicks? I don't know. I so was it your go-to animal for you, big dicks? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not. So basically, I'm sitting in my office here, which no one can see, um, and uh-huh. there's pop toys everywhere. And I just looked over, and I've got a Jaws pop toy. So like, it just it was there. That's the natural natural progression. Yeah, I get it. Hung like layers a shark. to your storytelling. Hung like a shark. Hung like a shark. Okay. Hung like a shark. Number one podcast on Pornhub. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the match, the main event here, to me, I don't know. This kind of felt like a weird, there's like a weird pace to it. It didn't really like suck me in like the last match did. Um, and a lot of it, you know, I want, I'm wondering if it's like a thing like where WCW and WWF just had different match styles and they're kind of like clashing a little bit. Um, but yeah, ultimately this match ends with, uh, Shane coming out, so we, we we talked about Shane earlier getting involved in that random ass APA match, but uh, Shane comes out to try to help Booker. He hits Rock with the title, then APA come out for revenge. And, you know, you have Ron Simmons chasing Shane around the ring, and that leads him to Bradshaw, who clotheslines Shane out of his dick with a clothesline <laughs> from hell. Oh, now we're talking about Shane's dick. Yeah, we we got to. We got to talk about everybody's. Definitely the and, smallest uh, dick of the group. Like, I'd say if we ranked it, it would be hmm. Shane Bradshaw, Booker T, Rock, Ron Simmons. It's funny how you have all the black guys as the biggest. 
I mean, it's pretty racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I thought a, wait, this isn't data, this, you know? this isn't racist chops. This is hardest part of the ring. Shit. All right. Yeah, it's it's easy to get those mixed up. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I understand. I understand. So, <laughs> well, ultimately, so I, I love the finish to this match. It was kind of silly, but it, it it made me laugh hard. So Booker T hits the rock with the scissors kick. Booker doesn't go for the pin. He then follows it up with a spinner Rooney. Hits the spinner Rooney in the middle of the ring. Rock kips up, hits the rock bottom. One, two, three, new WCW champion, the rock. Man, what a, what a sentence. And then something that I look back on, and I don't have a problem with this. This will lead to uh, one of one of the first things in wrestling that really upset me in Chris Jericho becoming the first universe, uh, undisputed champion. That 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 really hurt me because I was a huge yeah. I was a huge Stone Cold fan. I wanted it to be Austin. I would have been okay with The Rock. I did not see Chris Jericho coming out of nowhere with it, and he was just a he was a shit heel at that time that I fucking hated. And my best friend loved him, which made it worse because he rubbed it in for a long time. After. Right. Still does. Every now and then he's like, you do know Chris Jericho was the first universe or undisputed champion. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> you need to be reminded sometimes, yeah. you know, it's all history. But yeah, it's weird because we have this whole invasion storyline, right? And now we have Austin as the figurehead for WCW as a WWF champion. Right. And then you have rock for WWF, but the titles are flip flopped. It's all, it's all weird and kooky. And it's, it's just, it just exemplifies the problem with the invasion is that their image of WWF versus WCW is rock versus stone cold. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, I think, I don't know if they've given up on this point or what, but it's definitely downhill. It's, it's the go-to. It's the moneymaker. It's the main event of WrestleMania. You know, mm-hmm. 50. I mean, nobody's upset at this point. They, they all they're all happy to see The Rock back, and they want him to see him get his revenge on Stone Cold. True, and even I like so. My best friend and co-host over on the Smack and Raw podcast, Travis. Uh, we grew up together. Uh, we met in like third grade, so our entire wrestling like watching careers have basically mirrored each other and yeah we've always been on opposite ends like i was stone cold he was the rock so we fought a lot during this period of like who's better we still do and i still say it's stone cold um but so he watched wcw i i didn't get into watching wcw until like after like i watched some of what was going on but um like i watched the carl malone stuff and the dennis rodman stuff and all that but I didn't really like get into get into like the early NWO stuff until later. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know he was oh the Rock's WCW champ and he was a big WCW fan. I was the WWF guy. I was Stone Cold, and now Stone Cold's working for the Alliance. And yeah, it was it was a whole weird thing at this time for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that brings SummerSlam 01 to a close. Um, overall, I mean, what are your thoughts on this show? If you had to give it like a rating out of ten, what do you think you'd give it? <laughs> You know what? I, I I give it a seven. Um, it was a lot better than I thought it was. Like you said, we had the great Austin match. We had a really good opener. Uh, Lance Storm is really underrated as fuck for what he could do and you know, I agree. what he was. Um, 
we had a lot of fun shit. I, I would have given it Nate if there was a women's match or a bra and panties match or something, because, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, I think there was one on Heat. Of course. I think. Of course. And I'm pretty sure it was on Heat. But so um, just go back and watch it. Go, go, go back and watch you some Heat, and then you'll get your fill. We had you'll the, blow your load there. We had the meat segments where he's missing shit. We had, uh, so there was comedy. There was storytelling. There was great wrestling. It had a lot. Um, and I look back on it fondly. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. I would agree. I'd say a seven or maybe even an eight, just based on the fact that, you know, this era of wrestling can kind of be like, just like Invasion was. It's all centered around the main event. And then we'll just fill in the blanks afterwards. But this show felt top to bottom, like a pretty well-rounded show. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, good wrestling, good storytelling, good shenanigans. It had everything other than brawl and panties. But we had that at the last pay-per-view. We can't get too greedy. Um. Yeah, we can. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, man, that's pretty much all I got for this show. Um. I hear. I hear. You have the number one podcast on Pornhub. Uh. I do. I do, Eric. So. Hope. <sighs> fuck. Token. <laughs> nope. No. It would be great if it was token. <laughs> <laughs> um. We are the Smackin' Around Podcast. We are the number one wrestling podcast on Pornhub. Uh, you guys can find us everywhere you guys find podcasts. Um, also, at Matt Ritter, uh, at M-A-T-T-R-I-D-D-E-R, Ritter, not Riddle. Hashtag Ritter over Riddle. Um, we do have the link trees there. Linktree slash Creation World will get you the video forms on YouTube and Pornhub where you guys can go find us as well as our merch store and our Patreon. And then Linktree slash Smackin' Raw will get you links to all the various different audio platforms that you guys can go check us out. So if you enjoyed this and the ridiculousness and all that, or you just hate Kenny, um, come listen to us. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a fantastic podcast. I'll put all the information in the description here. And uh, yeah, Matt Riddle, uh, oh, man, I was going to make a lot dick. of, I, 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 man, I forgot. I was going to make a lot of like abuse jokes, but it's probably best that I didn't. Yeah. In hindsight. Yeah. Well, on that note, (laughs) yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it, too. Once again, thank you to Matt Riddler, not Matt Riddle, Matt Riddler, for joining me today um, from the Smackin' It Raw podcast. Really, really good time on this episode. I had a lot of fun. And be sure to check out Matt on uh, YouTube. All podcast platforms, Pornhub, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, has a Patreon and merchandise as well. So feel free to check out his. <coughs> Sorry, I had some dried semen in my throat. Feel free to check out his Twitter at Matt Riddler, uh, where he has a link tree that has all places you can find him and ways to uh, support this Smacking It Raw podcast and. Yeah, we'll for sure have this little boy on again. And I think, I think, that's all daddy has for you today. So, <laughs> apronbump.com, linktree, link dot, link, link T-R-E-E. I, I see why people don't want link trees. It's very hard to articulate. <laughs> linktree backslash apronbump. Um, for all my episodes, uh, feel free to catch my um, most recent episodes. Uh, I did one with Charlie from Get Show on TNA. 
Against All Odds 2005. That was a really fun one. And then I did one previous to that, uh, Progress Progress Wrestling Chapters 7 through 8. And uh, we'll have another Progress episode coming up sometime in the next few weeks with a very special guest. And uh, yeah, make sure to subscribe. As I said, another Progress episode coming up. We got WCW Bash at the Beach 94. We got some ROH crowning a champion. Look at this shit, man. We, we, we man. If you if you're not subscribing, why did I just get Ebonics for a second? If you're if you're not subscribed at this point, you're about to hear me talk about Hulk Hogan debuting in WCW. You're about to hear me talk about ROH crowning their first world champion. You're about to hear me cover TNA Destination X, which has Jeff Jarrett probably. It's all it's all good shit, and you all love to hear it. So let me put the audio elements into your sexy little ear, and let me chew on it a little bit. Um, this is getting weird, so I'm going to end it now. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm hard. I'm hard.